Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Meredith. And I'm Allison. And tell us about this case that we're going to be doing, Allison. Okay, so first, I really think we should speak to our audience about what has been happening with our audio. Yeah. Because um, we're... But, but then it becomes unorganic. But... We've been having a bit of a problem with our record button going and not actually picking up any audio. Correct. Um, this has happened for five episodes that we've had to redo multiple times. And I'm going to run over the equipment with my car. Yes. After I bash myself in the head <laughs> with it. This is now the second time we're doing this three-part episode. And episodes. episodes. And I liked it so much. Uh, we just got to do it. We have to do it, but... It is hurting my brain to have done it once, so... Mm -hmm. All right, so let's just... Can we just do it? We'll just do it. We'll just do it. Okay, so we're going to be covering a case. There's a ton of stuff on this one. All sorts of little side rabbit holes of scams and stuff that I can't possibly go through. So I tried to keep it as cut and dry as possible and give you a sense of her without going on to every scam tangent. So who are we talking about? We are talking about Sandra Louise singers on july 24th 1934 sandra louise singers was born in oklahoma city to mary von horn and mahendra prama ratan singh it is said that the family moved to la and the family was abandoned by dad correct ratan so mary to support her two daughters became a prostitute and sandra ended up being adopted by colonel edwin chambers and his wife mary who doted on her. So now she is Sandy Chambers, which doesn't really make a difference because she doesn't really turn out very well. No, and she doesn't really keep that name. All right. So they moved to Carson City, Nevada in 1947 when she was 13 years old. She was very smart, wrote for the school newspaper. She was in school plays and on the student council. So sounds like us, mm -hmm. right? When we mm -hmm. were kids. Mm-hmm. She was in a lot of clubs, and some did complain about her that she was very bossy and manipulative, which now rules you out, and rules that sounds me like out me. <laughs> and zeroes in on you. Yes. Because I was not bossy and manipulative. No, you were not. You are now. I have a hard time with that word. <laughs> manipulative. manipulative. It's a difficult one for me. Mm. I am not bossy and manipulative now. Maybe bossy. Organized. And... She graduated from Carson <laughs> City. <laughs> she did graduate from Carson City High School in Nevada in 1952. After high school, she married Lee Powers, who is an Army recruit, and quickly divorced him about three months later. Lucky Lee. So not a good marriage. No. She worked as a secretary, and she enrolled in San Francisco College for Women and studied journalism. Totally interesting mm -hmm. major mm -hmm. for her. Her. So in 1956, she moved to Sacramento and got married again. And this time it was her high school boyfriend and they had a son, Kent. Right. Kent. So we're going to talk about him a bit more later, but that was their son. Sandy was convicted of shoplifting and they divorced in 1961. So right. So her and the high school sweetheart are no more. Are no more and now starts... The manipulation, I guess, with a shoplifting conviction. Correct. 
So Sandy is now 37 years old, and she's now going to start going by the name Sante. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more exotic. I don't know. I would have stuck with Sandy. But I don't know. Maybe there's a deeper meaning there since she turns out to be a piece of garbage, but mm, who knows? I don't know. Sante it is. Sante it is. And she is working as a Washington lobbyist for a healthcare company. And in 1971, she meets and just a few years later, marries Kenneth Kimes. Okay. Now, Kenneth was from a lower working class family in Oklahoma, and he was 18 years older than her. So that's a big age difference. At this point now, he's... Been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Kenneth worked his way up. So he owned a construction company, then he started buying up motels, and he ended up owning a chain of motels in California. And his net worth, which this is pretty impressive... From a working class family, a lower working class family, to his net worth being between 12 and 50 million. I would say so. It's somewhere in there. I don't know how. I guess she had her eye on the prize. I guess so. I also saw in some places, though, that Kenneth was an alcoholic, which to me, knowing the full story of how this all plays out, might explain why he didn't um, get rid of Sante or divorce her or catch Mm -hmm. on or stand up or anything like that with her. He might have just been into his own problems. Just to get an idea, like I said, I'm not going to go down every avenue of every scam she ever did. That would be insane. Mm -hmm. And so just to get an idea, in 1971, around the time she met Kenneth, and I'm not sure if they got married close or years later, whatever, or if they ever got married, That's up for debate. Anyway, to us, they are married. So Sante and Kenneth come up with their first scam that I'm going to touch on. And it was the bicentennial of the American Revolution. And they basically just went and made up merchandise saying it was the official merchandise of this bicentennial. And they just started selling posters and stickers and stuff like that without any official permission. And who do they need to get official permission there from? There is a Bicentennial Commission okay. that was probably putting out its own merchandise right. and publicizing this event right. in their own right. Okay. So by so 1972 now, without official permission, Sante forges and drafts a letter on Bicentennial official letterhead naming Kenneth as the Honorary Bicentennial Ambassador of the United States of America. How'd you get the letterhead? Well, she must have made it. Mm. She must have gotten some letter and then made it. She's crafty. I will give her that. Okay. In this letter, she stated that Kenneth has been recognized by heads of state and the United Nations and given recognition for his contributions among the world's school children. Mm. Sounding like a really awesome guy, but he actually did nothing (laughs) like that. Okay. So the crazy part to me is that I I, I don't, I mean, you have to remember this is the 70s, right? So they don't have the computers and all that stuff to kind of keep track of people Mm -hmm. and official stuff. He was officially recognized by the Bicentennial Commission. Which I think is so hilarious and ironic that the commission that should have been like suing them Uh now recognizes this guy. Mm -hmm. But go ahead. In 1973, because of this official recognition, Sante was able to get Kenneth on the program of the Rose Bowl Festival to speak about patriotism. Which is a big deal. Which is a big honor, probably. Big deal. 
and he did nothing to earn this. Awesome. Ngats. So now, I know this happened sort of in our lifetime where this, I remember this blonde cup woman and her husband kind of scammed their way into meeting the Obamas or some presidents. And she, this couple, if I'm not mistaken, or the wife or something was on like the Real Housewives, one of the, one of them. Maybe. She was like a friend or did, I don't know if she became a a character, but I remember them saying, this is, this is them. And they always flash that picture of them, her dressed in like the evening dress, right? Yep. So Sante did something similar. She managed to scam her way into some event or or some meeting with the first lady, Pat Nixon, and, you know, had her photograph taken with her and stuff, and also got her and Kenneth into a bunch of A-list Washington parties. Which at this point, you just think, all right, they're dishonest, but maybe she's just an opportunist, Mm -hmm. right? She just wants to be part of the cool club. Right. That's what I'm seeing now. That's what it feels like. That's okay. Yeah, she's but climbing up and she's right. wanting to climb higher. Um, the FBI does catch wind of this, I guess, once you like infiltrate the first lady, they're going to start to look at look you. Into, into so they past, did look right. into her. I don't know if anything came of it. It's not really relevant to the grand scheme of the craziness that happens with this woman. Okay. So now in the in the midst of this, a little bit later on, Kenneth and Sante have a son also named Kenneth. We are going to call him Kenny. The baby. The baby. So Kenny Kimes Jr. was born on March 24th, 1975. And I guess her scamming was put on hold. She wasn't done. uh, So uh, just taking a maternity leave. (laughs) So both parents loved him. Sante was a bit overprotective of him, which may be the start of an unnatural mother-son relationship which creeps me out um he had nannies and private tutors so he was not allowed to go to school so around the time that kenny was three so in about 1978 sante's maternity leave from scamming was over and she was back up to her old ways okay so she hires an attorney to sue her insurance company so she's put in a claim for one hundred thousand dollars for a tapestry that she claims was stolen from her Honolulu home. That's a lot of money for a tapestry. It is a lot of money. And that's going to probably raise some red flags with the insurance company. They're going to investigate a bit more than they would if it was, you know. Getting greedy. A hundred dollar plate. You right. know. Right. They're going to. It's a hundred. Yeah. The problem that the insurance company had was that the tapestry never existed. So she mm. was filing a claim for something that. She didn't have. Right. And the insurance company in their investigation, because remember, she's suing them. So now mm-hmm. they are investigating. They end up interviewing Kenneth's sister, who was living in the Honolulu home. And she said she had never seen this tapestry. So it did not exist. And she would have seen it if it was there. The insurance company refuses to pay. Sante is pissed. She's pissed at her sister-in-law because she obviously ruined this plan for her and so instead of just being pissed at her like most people get at their kicking her out in-laws right uh kicking her out of the honolulu home instead she locks her in there keeps her basically as a prisoner starves her probably isn't super nice and lovey Mm. probably i would think no a little bit of beating happening maybe i don't know 
Um, and the brother is allowing this to happen. Kenneth is allowing this to happen. Well, again, he's probably on the sauce. Yeah, well, you know, still. Her relatives catch on and they are able to free her, the sister-in-law. Okay. Okay. It's also said that she had filed a false insurance claim for a $30,000 Rolex that was stolen, but actually it never existed either. Um, She also is said to have gotten a brand new Cadillac by just test driving it off the lot and driving it home and kind of keeping it. I don't know if I I, don't happen, but this is the seventies. I don't know. Maybe she just gave like a fake license. You know, maybe you just had to give your license and you could go test drive it. And and then then they don't find you. I mean, you just drive off and then you never come back and no one looks for the car. I don't know. We're going riding on the freeway of love in my pink Cadillac. (laughs) Sorry. The attorney that represented her in these false insurance claims and stuff then tried to get his fees from her and she done skipped town. So he couldn't track her down. I think it was like $12,000 in fees or something and he never got paid on that. Surprise, surprise. So she's not trending to be such an honorable person. Uh, No. So let's fast forward a little bit. When Kenny was five, this is the son, the family moved to a beautiful home in Las Vegas on a golf course. Kenny didn't have many friends, uh, not because he didn't want them, but because Sante wouldn't allow him to play with other kids, only a few that she had picked out for him. And the parents of those kids definitely knew something was off, but really had no evidence that anything was wrong, just a just a feeling. Right. Right. So. And they said that. Rightfully um, so. Rightfully so. And they said that she limited who could play with him because she would tell all the other parents of kids that kind of would meet him in the park if they ever went, that he was a genius and she couldn't have them like dummying him yeah, up. I'd, you know, I'd dump that for Dummying him. him down. In July of 1985, this is the first time that I'm mentioning that she's actually facing charges for anything that she's done, which I can't believe it because she's gotten away with quite a lot and she's going to get popped for so stealing far. a mink coat from a bar. So in 1980, in 1985, she's arrested she's and on trial. like 50 now, right? 50 years old? She was yeah. born at 34? Yeah, yeah. So in July of 1985, she's on trial in Washington, D.C. for stealing a mink coat from a bar in, five years earlier in 1980. Okay. So the theory is, and this is actually what happened. It's not a theory. It is what happened. Kenny's asleep in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. She okay. leaves him. So Sante and Kenneth leave sleeping Kenny and they go down to the bar and she just swipes this mink coat. I don't like this only because she's supposed to be this crazy overprotective mom, but she leaves him sleeping in a hotel room to go swipe a mink coat. She also has a bunch of her own mink coats. So she just did it for fun. These people are millionaires. Why does she need to steal a mink coat? Because it's like the thrill of it, I guess. and giggles? I mean, I... This trial happens, right? And Sante actually gets found guilty, even though her explanation is that it was her mink coat. Mm-hmm. She just wanted it back. That she just took back and they're framing her. Mm-hmm. That's usually her That's defense. going to be her MO, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she's found guilty, but during the reading of the verdict, she had already left town and gone back to California. From D.C. 
So nobody... I guess when you're found guilty, you have to be present for the reading of that and the reading of the verdict. And because she wasn't, whatever technicality that was, that was it. The um, maybe it wasn't a, a serious enough crime for them to maybe, but the conviction was overturned. So that was hmm. had it not been, I mean, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have deterred her. Right. No way. Because we know now that in the fall of 1985, so this is right after she right gets after. off for that coat thing. Yeah. The FBI busts in and arrests both Sante and Kenneth for slavery. What? Apparently. What? They would go to Mexico frequently and convince these young Mexican girls to come and live in some of their various, either the hotels or the houses and work as maids or housekeepers. And, you know, they would tell that their families, they're going to be compensated. They're going to get days off. They're going to be treated well. They can keep in touch with you and write letters and all this stuff. But once Sante got them, it was more like they were prisoners. They were working seven days a week. Over the years, she would lock them in their rooms um, they would never get paid. Some of them said she would, you know, beat them or kick them. Uh, one got burned with a curling iron. Another one was thrown in like a scalding hot shower. Uh, she would make them get on their knees and ask God for forgiveness or lock them in their rooms or closets for hours. What the hell's wrong with this woman? I don't know. And where the heck is Kenneth during this? I'm telling you, he's balls deep in some vodka. <laughs> so Kenneth, speaking of... Speaking of Kenneth, speaking of balls, speaking of balls, uh, Kenneth was allowed to plead guilty to a lesser charge to just pay a fine and complete an alcohol treatment program. But Sante was convicted and sentenced to five years in a federal prison in 1986. She was then released after only three years in 1989. So for the three years that Sante was in prison, Kenneth and Kenny, who's now like an early teenager, lived normal, regular lives. So Kenny was allowed to go to regular school and have friends and allowed to be a normal child. But as soon as Sante came out, she was back to her craziness and yeah. overprotective ways. So a lot of people that were interviewed later said that Kenny would say this was the happiest time of his life, the three years that she was in prison. Mm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the Mexican... Housekeepers. Yes. They now, in 1990, so she's out of prison, and they right. file a civil suit for $35 million against her. So she has an attorney, right? And the case settles. Right. And during his interviews with them, the attorney happened to be at the house, and he happened to just be looking around as to what the accommodations were for the maids, and he noticed that all of the rooms that they were sleeping in mm -hmm. had deadbolts on the outside. Mm. So he got kind of an icky feeling from that. I would think so. Feeling like maybe... Nah, maybe they're telling the truth. Maybe they're telling the truth. So he settles the Time case. to settle. Time to settle. <laughs> so he settles, and I'm guessing Sante was not excited about settling and having to pay. Inexplicably, his offices were firebombed oh, after wonderful. this. But uh, there's no proof that it was Sante, but... We're feeling like it probably was. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say she had something to do with it. Right. So I'm a genius. In 1978, Sante and Kenneth's Honolulu house had a fire. They had an insurance guy. They did the claim. 
They got a lot of fires going on here. Some settlement for that, right? Okay. In September 1990, that same house burned down. Burning down the house. (laughs) I mean, Jesus, how many fires are we? All right. That insurance guy got drunk one night and was telling people that Sante and Kenneth hired him to set this current fire. What idiot. So then, you know, obviously someone spills the beans and he turns out to be an informant for the government on them, which Mm -hmm. is we're going to see most people that they are in contact with are either informants or disappeared. Okay. Disappeared. Nice, nice people. This guy who becomes the informant, the insurance guy. I don't know why. They went to Costa Rica, I'm sure under the guise of some investment or something in February. I would not be hanging out with these people again. No. In February of 1991, he went with them and he was never heard from again. Mm. So Sante says, you know, he was a crook and he ran off. Right. I guess we'll never know what happened to him, but it's a safe assumption. She's got an excuse for everything, this woman. To say that they needed to get rid of him. I would think so, yeah. And the insurance company refused to pay for the damage to the Honolulu home, rightfully so. And in 1991, they sue the insurance company. And the insurance company filed a lawsuit against them, saying Sante stalked the CEO outside his home in New Jersey, following him and threatening his kids, which I absolutely believe. I believe it too. Because this woman is seeming to be off her rocker. And I don't have many of the resolutions to all of these. These are just basically to kind of give you some feel for her. Yeah, she's a monster. So in 1994, Kenneth passed away from an aortic aneurysm. And in his will, whether he just never changed it because he just, some people don't change their will. Right. Or they weren't actually married, so he didn't change the will or he didn't want to give her anything. He left everything, his entire estate, to his two children from his first marriage. Okay. So she's got I think it's nothing. more that he didn't change his will, because I don't know why he would leave he's Kenny out of it. He's a drunk mess all the time. Right. Just, so she's got nothing now. So she has, is left Let with pull nothing. pull out my violin. She has no way to access any of his accounts. So she has to kind of scam some money out of this. So Which she she's been doing all along anyway. Right, is how she gets by. I don't know exactly how she did it. I could have totally put it together and told you, but it's just like too much overload brain problems. She basically forged a bunch of documents, whatever you would need to forge, to basically gut the estate. So before his heirs could make claims against the estate and freeze the accounts, and even some reports say that they didn't even know he was dead for a few years. I don't know how she was able to keep that, but maybe they just didn't see him. Or Who didn't know he was dead? His heirs. Like oh, his, his heirs. Well, maybe he kids. wasn't in touch with them a lot. Maybe, or, right. You so know. she was able to kind of hide that he was dead for a few years, and she was able to gut the estate. I don't know what she did with the money, um, whether it went into some failed investments or crazy business ventures. For one of these investments, Sante met with one of the investment people in Nassau, Bahamas, on September 5th, 1996, And Mm -hmm. after that meeting, he was never seen again. Surprise, surprise. So a private investigator that was hired by Kenneth's estate thought that that investment party in the Bahamas uncovered some irregularities with Mm -hmm. Kenneth's accounts. So he probably was on to the fact that 
he was dead and she was yeah stealing the money or something like that. So we'll find out later what happened to him. Okay. But as of right now, all we know is that when um, the police came to investigate in the Bahamas, his hotel room was completely cleaned out. So at this point, we don't know what happened, but we're assuming they had something to do with it. I would say, yeah. So at this point, Kenny is going deeper and deeper under his mom, Sante's spell, right? Mm-hmm. So he was at UC Santa Barbara living with a family, the, the Cadges. While there, they noticed that Sante had complete control over Kenny. I mean, I, I would think that it's not hard to look at their relationship and see that. I mean, it's not like a... Right. Sante would come visit and she slept in Kenny's room with him. And Sante controlled who he was allowed to date, if at all. He dropped out of UC Santa Barbara at his mother's direction after only six months. And in 1997, Sante and Kenny showed back up at the Cadges house and wanted to buy a gun from them, but they refused to sell him one. So I guess were they gun dealers or collectors? He or was whatever? a gun collector, so he had guns. We're going to end this episode here. This kind of gives you a bit of the background of Sante, and maybe you could kind of sort of see where we're headed. We are going to have, so this is Friday, and this is out, and then we're going to have, I'm going to put part two out on Tuesday, and then the final part Friday. So I'm not going to make you wait three weeks for all of these. Good, because I can't. We'll start episode two with a little recap, because Mm -hmm. some people might forget and, you know, need to be refreshed. So. Um, We're going to end that here, and we are going to say, um, to be continued. That's right. Nefarious New York. Shoplifting with a shoplifting. He was official, officially, or he was officially recognized by the ba- by. <laughs> Don't just fucking go. Go or I'm going to leave. I'm going.